Good morning. My name is Barb. Our scripture reading for today is 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 16. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to too much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience, and let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives, likewise, must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also a great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Barb. Appreciate that. Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome to Disciples Church. It is great to see you as always. Uh, we are very glad that you have joined us in worship today. My name is Dave Hahn, and it is always my privilege to open God's Word with and for you today. So with the NFL season uh, starting up, I think it's either this weekend or next weekend. I know the Packers play ne next weekend. I'm not sure if anybody plays this weekend, to be honest with you. Uh, I have been reflecting on what a great time it has been and is to be a Wisconsin sports fan. So the Milwaukee Bucks obviously are the current NBA champions. First time in 50 years that that has been the case. The Brewers are currently strongly in first place and are favorites to go to if not win the World Series. That's the thing I'm most excited about. And the Packers, in spite of a little bit of off-season drama, are still favorites to go to the Super Bowl and have maybe one last run at it with Aaron Rodgers. And one of the things that I like most about sports is the marriage, as it were, of incredible individual performances and the extraordinary things that happen when a team plays together as one cohesive unit. Aaron Rodgers, Giannis Antetokounmpo, and Christian Yelich don't win MVPs or championships on their own. Of course, they are incredible and stunning athletes, but without coaches who guide them and offensive lines to block for them and receivers to catch what they throw, players to set picks and pass them the ball, pitchers who dominate on the other side, or good hitters to surround them, their individual successes and their team's successes are not as great if they exist at all. These guys are MVPs and the faces of their organizations for a reason, but the roles of those who surround them from the front office of that organization to the bench players are essential to what they ultimately achieve. 
And that idea reminded me of 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 12 through 26, which I will read for you. Listen to it and, and see what comes to mind for you. Verse 12, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. Jumping to verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? Jumping to verse 24. But God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Friends, the guy who played 20 seconds all year and never saw the floor during the playoffs gets the same championship ring as Giannis. And while their individual roles may vary, and the fun and the stresses and the responsibilities certainly differ, the collective successes or failures really are a shared experience. Because each role is vital. And so it is, as Paul said, with the church of Jesus Christ. But you and I are much, much more than a team. As Christians, the Bible says that we are children in the family of God. And which member of your own family is expendable? Don't answer that. As Christians, the Bible says that we are members of a living body, of which Christ is the head. And which part of your own body are you willing to part with because you deem it unnecessary? Don't answer that either. An athlete without a team to surround him or an organ without a body to inhabit, belong to, and function alongside cannot be what God intended for them to be. Christian, the rest of us need you. And you need us. No matter your role in the body of Christ. Because this is how the life of Christ is made manifest, both in the church and in the lost and dying world that we as the church have been sent to. In chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, Paul addresses two of the roles that we find in the church, specifically elders and deacons. And over the last two weeks, we have looked at the qualifications and responsibilities of elders. And as you may have noticed from this morning's reading that Barb read for us, the qualifications for elders and deacons are nearly identical. 
So we're not going to go into great detail about those qualifications again today. Instead, we're going to spend most of our time looking at the roles and the responsibilities of a deacon and how elders and deacons minister alongside one another and the role that every Christian plays, every Christian plays in the kingdom of God. Now, if you don't remember or you weren't here with us last week, God has given elders as the primary spiritual leaders of the church. And there are several words used for the role of elder in the Bible with definitions such as guardians, overseers, pastors. And while the task of elder pastor is a noble one, the responsibility is enormous in that. Pastors and elders are trusted with God's dearest and most costly possession, his children. As they demonstrate servant leadership in the church and as they preach the good news of the gospel. And deacons are crucial too in that they serve and they care for the physical and the logistical needs of the church so that the elders can focus on teaching and equipping the church. Now the word deacon is the Greek word diakonos which means serve or servant. So today we're going to look at the similarities and the distinctions between the qualifications and the roles of elders and deacons, and then we're going to look at a few biblical models for deaconship in hope that when we come to a greater understanding as to what a deacon is and what a deacon is not. Even as I studied this week, it was very, very helpful for me because I think we all come into looking at both of those roles with a varied sense and maybe not the biblical sense. Now, if you were to review the qualifications for elders laid out in verses 2 through 7, which we looked at last week, as well as 8 through 12, which we read this morning, you would see many similarities to that of deacons, and there is almost no difference, morally or spiritually speaking, between elders and deacons. Elders are not those who are really holy and have their lives together while the deacons are a little bit more screwed up. You know, this guy's a mess. He's not really elder material. Maybe we can just put him in the deacon role. That's not what's happening here. Friends, a candidate for deaconship should also spiritually and morally qualify to be an elder or they should not be a deacon. It really is that simple. Deacons need to be as spiritually and morally qualified as an elder would be, or they ought not be a deacon. Now where we do see differences between elders and deacons is in two primary areas, neither of which are moral or spiritual in nature. The first difference is in giftedness and responsibility, which I think we understand, but the second difference is in gender. We believe that the Word of God says that elders are to be men who can teach Scripture and oversee a congregation. Deacons, on the other hand, can be either men or women. And their ability to teach Scripture is not central, but servanthood is. Now, we'll look more deeply at giftedness, roles, and responsibility, but let's first look at the second difference that I mentioned, the roles of men and women as elders and as deacons. 
We talked at length over the last two weeks as to the exclusivity of men in the role of elder and why that is, but the same distinction, we believe, does not apply to the role of deacon. And I think there are three good reasons to believe that women can be deacons. The first reason is the original language of verse 11. The ESV, which I believe most of you are reading, it's the one that Barb read for us this morning, translates that verse as, their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanderers, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. And it's the phrase, their wives, that I think is open for debate, as it was likely a decision of the ESV translators. And not just ESV, there are other translations that read it similarly. You see, in the original Greek language, the word there, T-H-E-I-R, is not there, T-H-E-R-E. The word there is not there in the original Greek language. And there, T-H-E-I-R, is a possessive word, and the translators were connecting it to a deacon's wife in this case. But the word translated as wives is actually the word for women. So verse 11 technically reads, women likewise must be dignified. If you were to take the Greek language and translate it exactly, that's how it would read. And that reads and means something very different than what we read in the ESV there. The second reason for believing women can be deacons is that the Bible tells us that they always have been. Remember, the word that we translate as deacon in 1 Timothy is the word diakonos. And it is that same word that Paul uses to describe Phoebe in Romans chapter 16, verse 1, if you look at that. It reads, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, a diakonos of the church a diakonos of the church. Now some translations will use deacon, while others will use the word servant in that verse. Diakonos is used to describe other forms of servanthood in Scripture, but it is the last few words of verse 1 that I think make this use of diakonos different. Phoebe was a diakonos of what? the church. She was a diakonos of the church, not just an everyday servant, but a servant of the church. And at a high level, my friends, that's what a deacon is. And as such, I think that it is reasonable to believe that Paul was identifying Phoebe as a deacon. Now, my final reason for believing that women can be deacons is the argument of silence. And it's not the strongest style of argument to make, in my opinion, but it is worth considering. Paul is clear in his prohibition of women teaching and having authority earlier in this letter and in other places. But he does not give the same prohibition when discussing deacons. Additionally, Paul does not address the wives of elders earlier in chapter 3, so does it make sense that he would suddenly address the conduct of wives of deacons here? Why address the wives of deacons here and not address the wives of elders earlier? 
I don't think that that's what he was doing. I think Paul in these verses is referring to women in general. Now, good people do, will, and can disagree on some of these issues, and it is not a salvation issue, so we can and ought to extend grace and counsel with one another about it. But I wanted to let you know, on behalf of Jonathan and myself, where Disciples Church lands on women serving as deacons. Simply put, we encourage it and we expect it, though it is no small task for men or women. A deacon is a godly man or woman who models Christian service for the rest of the church. They model Christian service for the rest of the church. And they are just as godly, by the way, as the elders of the church. And their primary gifting is service, not necessarily teaching. So that they may care for the various temporal and physical needs of the church community as directed under the oversight of the elders. That last sentence that I just read is taken directly from the Disciples' Church Constitution. Just so you know where we land on this. So as we mentioned last week, both right doctrine and right living are critical for elders and for deacons. Just as much as those things ought to be the aim for every believer. It's not as though if you're not a deacon or an elder, you can go ahead and live riotously. But they are fully expected for elders and deacons. And there should be no difference morally or spiritually between the two. Where we should my friends, see differences is in giftedness and calling. Elders are primarily to pastor, preach, and pray, while deacons are to primarily serve the practical needs of the church. Of course, that does not exclude deacons from prayer, preaching, or pastoral responsibilities any more than it excludes elders from taking care of the practical needs as needed. What Scripture does make clear is where the bulk of that individual's time is spent. You see, far too many churches have pastors and elders and deacons who are trying to do everything, and they are burning themselves out. There is evidence everywhere you look, and they're burning themselves out at the expense of their own spiritual lives their family's well-being, and the ultimate health of the church. But they're burning out for Jesus, so it must be okay, right? As Christians, my friends, no matter the role, we are all called to serve, to diakoneo both God and one another. And there ought to be no one who just sits back and watches, just as there shouldn't be anyone who does the work of the many all by themselves. Not all the pastoring or the preaching will be done by the elders, and certainly not all the serving should be done by the deacons. Because everyone who knows Christ, everyone who knows Christ, has been called to be a priest and an ambassador and a minister in one form or another. That means all of you. I think spiritual burnout is most common among elders and deacons, and it happens when an elder or a deacon tries to do more than God has asked 
or equip them to. Believing that the advancement of God's kingdom rests on their shoulders and that God is dependent on them rather than the other way around. And conversely, there are churches with elders and deacons who have abdicated their biblical responsibilities altogether. Whether it be because they have not been adequately trained to understand or fulfill that role, or because shepherding and serving can be difficult and a messy undertaking, so they just avoid it altogether. Or maybe because they never really have had the heart of a pastor, overseer, or servant to begin with. And sadly, it is God's sheep who are the most injured and ignored, while shepherds and servants burn out or abdicate their God-given responsibilities. It's the sheep who are the most damaged. My friends, what Jonathan and I want to be known for, and what we want all, all who are called to the office of elder and deacon at Disciples Church to be primarily known for is our love for God and our love for you, his people. Born of our own emotional and spiritual health. And that means knowing our own limits while depending on God's limitlessness. Knowing our own limits while depending upon God's limitlessness. We want to pray for you and to guide you and to teach you and to serve you and walk alongside you in both the mountaintop moments that you have and in the valleys. And God forbid, God forbid that we think about Disciples Church primarily as an organization to run or the people of Disciples Church as problems to manage. Friends, if you don't know the elders and the deacons of Disciples Church as they are appointed, or if we don't know you, both you and we are missing the point of God's gift in having ordained these offices. We're missing the point and the beauty in it. Now, what I want you to notice is what is not listed as a qualification in chapter 3 for either an elder or a deacon. What you will not find in there is experience and credentials. But that's often how elders and deacons are chosen, aren't they? Resembling a board of directors or a board of executives more than they represent a board of pastors and servants. Now hear me on this, my friends. Experience and prestige and knowing how to run an organization can all be very good things. But those traits and those gifts outside of good doctrine, right living, and most of all, a deep love for God and his people are worth nothing in God's kingdom. Do you realize that those gifts outside of right living, right doctrine, and a love for God and his people are worthless? And they alone do not qualify one to be an elder or a deacon. Friends, the world is filled, filled 
with experienced, prestigious, business-minded men and women who do not know, love, or follow Jesus. But the church and its leadership should not be. The world is filled with people like that who don't know, love, and follow Jesus, but the church can't be. Not its leadership. Let us as a church first look for those who love Jesus and love his people, and then discover how the gifts that God has given them are best used in his kingdom. The church should be willing to take an inexperienced, boring, entry-level worker who has faithfully demonstrated a fierce love for Jesus, his word, and his people over many of the folks who filled elder and deacon boards in most of our churches today. Ten times out of ten, we should make that choice. And at Disciples Church, we sure plan to. And we expect you to crawl all over us if we don't. As such, there may be those, maybe even sitting among us today, who are surprised at who becomes an elder and a deacon at Disciples Church and who does not. Friends, the church should be choosing people who have lived and will live as elders and deacons, whether they have the title or not. Titles do not make someone a pastor, an elder, or a deacon. The way that they live in their heart for God and his people do. So that means that we will be careful and we will be slow and intentional in assigning those roles so that we can truly know these men and women at a heart level. That's what verse 10 in this passage is talking about. That testing, understanding who these people are. And when God makes it clear to a church that there is an elder or a deacon of his choosing among them, that church should not hesitate to extend a call to that individual and ask them to prayerfully consider it. Because too often, we put people in roles that they are not called to or built for. Because of a perceived need or because an individual is lobbying for that position. And at the same time, we look past men and women with a heart like God's because they don't fit the modern mold or possess the kind of credentials that we have come to believe are necessary. Can I remind all of us at this point that God has made a habit of not choosing men and women that men of this day would choose? God has made a habit out of choosing the unlikely it's never the experienced or the prestigious or the obvious that God selects. On the contrary, it is often the least likely in the eyes of man that God has used to build his kingdom for his own glory. And there is no greater example of that than in the person of his son, a carpenter from a nowhere town. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Yeah, the son of God, the savior of the world the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Because while man looks on the outside, God always, always, always looks on the heart. That's why David was chosen to be king over his brothers. That's why all men and women have been chosen. So whether you be a king like David, a disciple like the Twelve, a persecutor like Paul, or a young nobody like Timothy, understand that it is God who calls and equips you and me. And the roles of elder and deacon were not given as a vehicle for power or prestige to distinguish the super-Christian from the nominal one. Rather, God ordains and fills these roles as an expression of his service to and his care for his people. Okay, Dave, we get it. But what does a deacon actually do? Well, the Bible doesn't have much to say about it specifically, but it does provide models and examples for us to look to. Whether it be in Exodus 17 with Moses atop a hill during a battle while Aaron and Hur held his hands up to bring the victory when Moses was too tired to do so. Do you remember that story? Or one chapter later in Exodus 18 when Moses found himself overwhelmed by the needs of God's people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, encouraged him to look for able men who feared God to what? Bear the burden with him. And in the New Testament, we find the word for deacon in areas of simpler acts of service, whether it be among those serving at the wedding at Cana, or it be Simon Peter's mother-in-law who was healed of her disease, arose and began to diaconeo Jesus and his disciples. We even see it, and this is surprising to me, among the lawgivers and the law keepers in Romans 13 who diaconeo the citizens they serve. Now you can see how broad the idea of diakoneos or deaconing is throughout Scripture. And again, these are reasonable representations of what Paul is referring to here in chapter 3, but they are not entirely prescriptive in that the roles and the responsibilities of the individuals within each of these stories oftentimes went beyond what Paul lays out for us in 1 Timothy. Perhaps the best example for deaconship in Scripture is found in Acts 6, verses 1 through 6. Now, this was a time when the early church was just beginning and it was growing exponentially. And the disciples, like Moses in Exodus 17, were being kept from what mattered most to them. Beginning in verse 1. Now, in these days when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenists arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve summoned the full number of the disciples and said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And so the twelve prayed, 
and laid their hands on the seven men who were chosen so that the apostles could focus on the ministry God had for them, prayer and the ministry of the word. And I think that it is in this example where we find the closest, most practical models for how deacons are to serve, to do whatever is necessary to serve the body and to free up the elders to fulfill their roles and responsibilities. And to do so at the direction of those same elders. Let's finish up in verse 14. I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. Great indeed, we confess, is the mystery of godliness. He was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the Spirit, seen by angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world, taken up in glory." Now, as Jonathan mentioned last week, the purpose Paul had in writing this entire letter, we believe, is found in verse 15. That we would know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church. And the church is the church of the living God. It is his body, not a building. Not a building. And it is the church whom God called and equipped to be a pillar and a buttress of the truth. Well, what truth? The truth that is found in verse 16 that Paul and all believers of his day commonly confessed. The mystery of godliness. Mystery, meaning something that was once hidden, has now been revealed. Revealed specifically in a person, the God-man, Jesus Christ. And godliness, meaning someone in the likeness of God, and that is exactly who came to earth in the flesh. And he was vindicated or declared righteous in his life, certainly, but most powerfully, Jesus was vindicated through his sacrificial death for all who would believe. Man declared Jesus guilty, but God declared him righteous. And how do we know that? Because Jesus didn't stay dead. He didn't stay dead. And three days after he died and was buried, he emerged from the tomb to the witnesses of angels. And then Jesus showed himself to the disciples and transformed them into preachers and proclaimers of the gospel that we and countless others throughout history have come to believe. And it is this that they proclaimed, that Jesus came in the flesh, died for our sins, rose from the dead, and returned to his Father in glory, and one day he will come again. This, my friends, is the message that elders and pastors preach. And it is also the power given for a life of service as a deacon. As we care for those that Christ died for. And it is also the only hope for our lost and dying world. This gospel. So if you have been enlightened with this truth, 
you have also been equipped by God's Spirit to live it out. Whether it be as elders or deacons or dedicated members of his church, but don't watch it happen from a distance. Because, my friends, you are part of his team. You are a child in his family. And you are members of his living body. And that makes you invaluable. Let's pray. Father God, we lift our hearts to you this morning because you have made we who were once your enemies into sons and daughters. We who were once dead have been raised to the newness of life in and with you. The resurrection is happening all around us, God. We who were once slaves to sin are now slaves to righteousness. And if all of that weren't enough, God, you have called and equipped us to be members of your body and ministers in your kingdom. You were not and are not in need of help as though you need anything, but you delight in working in and through your own. Be glorified in us, God. Make us the men, women, boys, and girls that you intend for us to be and help us to be faithful in what you have given to us and what you have called us to. All that we have and all that we are is yours. Help us to believe it. Raise up elders, deacons, and dedicated members in this church who believe and live rightly. Let us find joy in serving you and one another even as we do so together. Let us abide in you, trust in you, and depend on you to do in us what we could never do on our own. Save the lost among us. Our friends, our family, our neighbors, our coworkers, fellow students, whoever it is that you would have cross our path, God, use us. And would you also, God, encourage and transform we who are the saved and use us according to your good pleasure to accomplish your perfect purposes. It is in Christ's beautiful name that we ask and we pray. Amen.